Okay, guys, uh, welcome back to the Grime America show. We're going to be talking with Nick Pope and John Burroughs, a little Rendlesham Forest a little bit later. And uh, yeah, and we're going to be talking with Justin since I lost his passport audio. We're going to bring him in to bring us up to date. Uh, he's a big Bigfoot guy, so I'm sure he's got some great, great stuff for us there. But first, the great Graham Dunlop. How's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, buddy. I'm doing okay. Yeah, in the studio, uh, troubleshooting stuff, getting technical, and it's late here, So, but it's all good. And we've got uh, the Fortean mind with us, right, Justin? How are we doing, guys? Hey, good, man. It's great to have you on. Sorry that we lost your, uh, your passport uh, portion. Hey, it's a blessing in disguise, right? Yeah, it is. I think it is for sure. And you've uh, you've been a uh, awesome blogger for us for quite a while now, and you just had that new blog come out, right? What was it called? Uh, Speaking of Sasquatl. Yeah. <laughs> is that how it is? Sasquatl, not Sasquatl? No, it's Sasquatl. Now, what is Sasquatl for the people that aren't too familiar with Big, um, Big Fatoria? It, it was a colloquialism coined on the Bigfoot forums on uh, what to call um, more than one Bigfoot instead of saying Big Feet. Uh, it, it was an open forum and uh, Sasquatl seemed to come out on top. So that's like instead of a murder of crows or a flock what, of why, geese? I, well, no, think no. It'd be like there's, a, there's a forum for that too. And I think a murder of Sasquatl it was oh, on top last time. Why I would they do murder? That's just a murder of Sasquatl. I like Sas Sas. Well, yeah. See, Sasquatl is the plural form of Sasquatch. I like Sasquatch. Like, as a group, like you know, herd or murder, it'd be. Last time I checked, it's been a while since I checked, but it was a murder of Sasquatl. What's a group of apes called? You know, I don't know a pod, maybe. Oh, you're probably right. Isn't that dolphins? Yeah, and whales. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, it, it it came to mind. It sounded right. <laughs> Congress? Is it a, a Congress? No. We're we're racing to figure this out here. I'm Google. As some Con told me, you would be. The yeah. Book of knowledge, a shrewdness. Is it really? A shrewdness of apes, a colony of bats, a pace of asses, <laughs> a sloth of bears. A sloth of bears? A litter of cats. Oh, the best one? 
is a group of zebras is called a crash. Crash of zebras? Yeah. Because when you see a thousand zebras and the stripes all flashing in front of you, you fall over, you yeah. crash your car or whatever. <laughs> Everyone who's ever seen one has crashed. So we better stay on topic a little bit because this is an awesome <laughs> episode of, uh, with like, this is, you know, some great UFO stuff with Nick Pope and John Burroughs and the Randallstrom Forest. I mean, at first I kind of wanted to like, not boycott this, uh, this uh, case, but it's one of those cases that I have such a hard time figuring out kind of what's what. And it's just one of those complex cases, you know, you hear all these different stories, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good interview. Well, you know, it's supposedly one of the most well-documented UFO uh, encounters. And uh, to have all the facts jumbled up like that, it, it does draw on some more questions. So actually, you know what? I think a group of apes is called a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's just vote on barrel. A barrel of monkeys. I like it. A barrel of Sasquatch. Sasquatch. <clears throat> A squaddle, yes. Oh, I can't stop. So a group of giraffe? A tower. Tower of giraffe? Who makes yeah. these things up anyways, eh? Wouldn't it be like to be the guy that's like, oh, what should we call them? You know what? It was probably a group of guys like us right now just sitting around bullshitting. Talk about a parade of elephants. Well, let's just call them a parade. A group of porcupines is called a prickle? <laughs> we could be wrong. I think they're baked. Yeah, someone we're getting trolled probably. This is someone's fucking gag say. So uh yeah, well the last time uh, some of your stuff was out of date, but what's uh, what's new in the Midwest? Didn't you go camping and looking for some Sasquatch there? I did. I'm actually from the Pacific Northwest, not the Midwest. Never never <laughs> been to the Midwest. Oh yeah. Pacific Mid Northwest, I meant. The Pacific Mid Well, yeah, I'm in the middle of a state, so um, no, didn't see any Sasquatch. It was more of a family outing, but uh, you, you can't help but be in the in the woods and just let your imagination run wild. What was I listening to today? I was listening. They were talking about the little people. Um, are uh, you talking about uh, a ring pendek? Or are you talking about like leprechauns? No, no, they were called something weird. It was like uh, oh, I forget what. It was a, it was on a podcast. I just can't think of what it was. Talking about Homo forensiens or forensi, how the hell you pronounce it? Forensiensis. Forensiathicapicus. <laughs> Homo forensis. That's it. So this first nailed it. This first blog here is that's going to be the first part in a series of an infinite part series. Yes. All about Sasquatl. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I, I tend to bring it up, and uh, it is the topic that. Uh, I always seem being find myself coming back to, and uh, I, I just figure if I if I just set that aside and uh, post directly on it, maybe my other posts will be uh, a little bit more Bigfoot free. Uh, we need some Bigfoot. We've never even had a Bigfoot guest on. So do you want to give know, people a I kind know. of teaser or what they why they should go to the white site and check it out? What's that? Do you want to give the people a little teaser or why they should make their way over to the site and check it out? Check that post out. It, it's uh, it's just my thoughts on the Giganto theory. <laughs> Didn't they find one, or there was a hoax, or maybe I think RPJ said it was a hoax. But remember, there was something about when we had those floods last year about them finding a yeah. Gigantopithecus up in the mountains here when they yeah. weren't supposed to be here. Well, well, yeah. I mean, that's the current paradigm of thinking is that 
Gigantopithecus is uh, mainly in Southeast Asia and parts of India. And, and they've never actually found anything but the mandibles and like 1,300 molars and only like three or four mandibles. And that's really all the fossil evidence of this animal. And the gigantotherists claim that it came across the land bridge and uh, that that's how it ended up over here in North America. But really, there's there's not enough data to neither confirm nor deny such claims. Sorry, I have to mention, uh, we're, we're testing out a chat room tonight, and uh, Red Pill Junkie says uh, chupacabras. It's a macarena of chupacabras. <laughs> we and should, a patty, we should a patty of that. Sasquatch. We should trademark definitely, yeah, we should trademark the fucking the Macarena, Macarena one? Chupacabra. 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 <laughs> Let's go to a clip. I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard Chupacabras traveling in packs before. They're always solo. So, uh, so Justin, um, you mentioned on one of Pat O's blogs that you, you had some, uh, you, you appreciated him talking about his, uh, strange experiences and sounded like <laughs> you know i like how how you just have that on hand i know who's got the macaroni of that handy darren does that's who i'm ready to go buddy yeah. at a moment's notice where were we well i was saying how justin justin sounded like he was itching to talk about some of his strange experiences so well well yeah actually i did um i did relate that story to you guys on the interview that was um misplaced Maybe it'll turn up one day as the lost tapes. There you go. Well, it'd just be the one. It wouldn't be that interesting of a, of a show that. Fingers crossed, it's just the one. <laughs> right? You should intentionally lose some more and then build it up as the lost tapes. <laughs> I'd listen to it. So, you want to hear some feedback? Yeah, you or got do spam. Do we have spam? Well, uh, spam grandmas are a success. <laughs> It's a little slow this week for spam ground, but I do have a synchronicity I want to share with you. Oh, perfect. Yeah? I don't have the clip handy. You don't have the clip handy? Okay. But that's okay. Just jump into it. I'll edit it in post. Okay, we'll see what see what uh, Justin says about this one, too. So we had some feedback. Uh, more feedback about Simon uh, Chakoisky's uh, episode, too. People really seem to like that yeah, one. That even was... the YouTube trolls were complimenting that one. Really, eh? So they weren't trolls, then? Oh, they're like the opposite of trolls. Elves? <laughs> Maybe. Fairies? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he liked the Simon episode. Now we're going to have YouTube trolls again because he just called them all fairies. <laughs> and this is from uh, this is from Gitmo, yo. And he's got a synchronicity of the highest order. So, <clears throat> I'll, I'll, talk, I'll say it here. I'm ready. I've been thinking about selling out of my business and going back into practicing law. So a friend of mine who happened to work at a place that interested me texted me out of the blue saying, so I asked him if there was an opening and lo and behold, there is. And he had no clue that I would even be interested in the job. That in itself is a synchronicity, but it gets weirder. We have an out of work mutual friend who's in the same business, but neither of us have had heard from him for months. In fact, neither of us knew whether or not he even had a job yet. I asked my friend if the unemployed friend had been contacted and he said no. He wasn't going to be considered for various and that he was unaware of the opening as it was not public knowledge. So we had the interview the day 
the day before he, he told us about this. And he's supposed to hear back Monday whether or not he got the job. So today at work, I get a call from the unemployed friend. He asks me how things are going and that he's still unemployed. I think he has to know about this other job and he's effing pissed that I didn't tell him. So I talked to him for like 45 minutes and he doesn't mention it at all. He's completely clueless and he's not the type of person to play it cool in a situation like this. Anyway, f sorry for the long-winded story, but I remember you guys said you wanted some examples of synchronicities. Assuming he does not know about the job, how would you rate my synchronicity? And if it is a synchronicity, does this mean something? What does it mean? My mind was quite blown. Take care. Um, so what does the third-party Canadian synchro rating system say about this? <laughs> I'll give it, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a six. Six, yeah. And barely. But, yeah, he, but here's why. Here's sport. why. Because actually, you know, yeah, it could. I could have went the other. If it was you, that would be like a four or a three. <laughs> but I like Gitmo. Um, because he just he was thinking of his friend, and then his friend seen him, and that's pretty common, right? It is a synchronicity, I guess. But it's almost like you know we were just talking about earlier tonight with Sarah about um, a time's not really linear. And it's like he was thinking about his friend those few days before because he already knew he was going to see that guy in a couple of days. Or that guy was going to call him. It was like but that, but when, when residue. You don't hear it's like the ripples before the fucking stick in the river. What? But when you don't hear from a guy for months, <laughs> when you don't hear from a guy for months, and then all of a sudden, like, if it was all this years, stuff happens, if it was years, it'd be different. Oh uh, yeah, well. I, yeah, I know what you mean there, but it is weird when somebody contacts you after it's been months after you've been talking about them like that. That just brought me to mind of one that I had. Do you want me to tell you? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gitmo. Because it's kind of similar. So I took this. Okay, how do I start this? Now, I haven't even thought about this, so now I have to be careful of the way I sell it to Darren. Okay, so I was getting into podcasting. I was getting back in UFOs, right? This is after a while, right? It's like my, I'd lost, I'd, I got laid off from my other job. I was starting my own business. Like everything was changing, right? I was getting back into to UFOs and I just found out about podcasts. And I started thinking about this course that I took in the, like 94. It was like a course at a college about UFOs. And I was thinking about the teacher because I think I even found my duo tang or something with the, the, the course content, right? And it was just blew me away that like I was able to take this course in the mid-90s and the teacher was pretty cool and he taught us all about UFOs and all this. And I was thinking, I wonder what that guy's doing, what that teacher's doing. And I hadn't seen him in like 18 years probably. Yeah, like 18 years. So I'm working in another city, North Vancouver, and I go to Starbucks there. And I look at this guy and I go, he looks like that fucking teacher that I... I go, it is, it is. It's the UFO guy. This is probably like two days after. And, I, and I, I approached him and I think he thought I was crazy. I was like, hey, uh, are you the guy that taught that UFO course in like the mid 90s? And uh, he looks at me like he didn't even want to admit it. I'm like, yeah. And I, so I started pushing him on the subject. But I was in your course and I thought it was really cool. And I go, have you heard of uh, the UFO Paranormal Radio Network or something? Like I was talking about like podcasts and all this. And he goes, and I think he mentioned Benjamin Grundy's name. He goes, I just 
I don't, I'm not into UFOs anymore. He said he was sort of trying to like get out of it. He's, he was really frustrated with the whole topic. And I think he mentioned Benjamin Grundy's name and I found mysterious universe. I'm going to give you a 3.3 Oh fuck! and here's why it's the same thing I just was talking about. That's just two days, few days before it's like, you don't know that fucking a hundred percent your buddy's going to call you in two days. It's not that tuned in, but it's like the little ripple before the stick in the river. Everyone's always talking You're just about proving it's that the it's little... a synchronicity. No, it's not. It's just, that doesn't make it a synchronicity. That just makes it that, that I thought of this thing after years and I hadn't seen the guy in like 18 years and like exactly. two days after you get I a see fleeting him, memory is the it, ripple no, in front of the fleeting, stick though. and then meeting buddy is the it fucking wasn't fleeting stick. though. Like it's a 3.3. Oh, Jesse, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I, I've been crushed before by the Canadian <laughs> third party ranking system. <laughs> I've been broken and, uh, <laughs> and out of, out of, uh, out of knowing that that pain, I'm gonna go ahead and give you an eight point five, my friend. Wow! Not not just because cool. I was crushed, but I actually found that pretty impressive. I liked it. See, that's good. I like that. Yeah, awesome. It good. was. It's one of those ones that personally, when it happens, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, and that and that's just it. When it comes to synchronicities, I, I was thinking about doing a post about it too. Um, that's not synchronicity, though. That's precognition. Fuck. Well, okay, I can see how it could be precognition too, because I've had those moments. Well, where do you draw the line then? That's what I mean. Precognition is a, a part of synchronicity. Well, luckily, I'm right? the guy who gets to draw the lines. <laughs> <laughs> and he fucking draws it low. No, but it it's a part of on who it is. Precog is a part of synchronicities, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a 3. Well, 3. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be in the case of every synchronicity. Because there, there, there's some that I've experienced that I have nothing to do apart except for I'm just the observing it, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe there is. Uh, it's fascinating to think about But it. I don't know. Like, I've, I've personally had that happen. Like, you know, that happens all the time. Are you thinking about something that they call? Sometimes even right before, you're thinking, oh, I should call this person. Even people that, you're not even when it's not a long time, like people you deal with in the day-to-day. It's like, oh, I should call Graham because I need to talk to him about this. And then two seconds later, you get a text or your phone. Right, yeah. That happens to me all, all day too. But that's different because it's happening in a in a, like in a a like thing that that's going to happen, right? Those normal things are going to happen macro because you're dealing the with the stuff all Same day thing. long. And Just, well, Maybe you're precognitive, Graham. Uh, maybe. Well, I, I think I am a little bit. Did, I think did we you all know I was going to say but, that? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I actually got I got some ask a Grimerican questions for you fellers. Oh, I got now I got the more messages. Oh, here. we don't have a jingle oh. for that, but sure. Well, I got one for each of you, but but you know, each one you can answer both of them. Perfect. So so I'll ask Darren, Darren, this is yours, okay? Now, have you heard recently about the the uh, amputee who lost his hand? And uh, he was able to um, move his uh, bionic hand recently with just his thoughts. Oh, 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 oh. phantom bionic limb syndrome. Yeah, I think I did hear something about I th- that. I think it was in the in the Graylian newsletter. Um, anyway, w- with the way technology is moving, you oh, know, no, wait, more and no more Google. toward That was physical... one of the rules. What's that? Well, Joey was just going to Google it for me, but I forgot the rule was no Google. No oh, Googles. that's right. Thank you. Thanks, producer Tom. <laughs> Major Tom. Major Tom. 
uh, with the technology moving more and more forward toward this, this, um, this, you know, singularity, uh, and, and the physical immortality, because we're becoming more and more able to surpass our, our, you know, humanly limits. What do you think that that has an implication on spiritual life? Like if we're more machine and, but we still maintain our consciousness, what do you think, like, does our, does our spiritualism evolve with it? Well, if you still have your, if your consciousness is still running the machine, then I think you've are really got everything you need for spirituality. Does it really matter? I mean, some people, uh, you could kind of equate that to someone who's like, maybe crippled or like, you know, like, quadriplegic or something they they can be just as spiritual as someone who's got full use of their body so i don't just kind of a way to look at the body as not being an issue as long as the consciousness is intact then i think spirituality can be intact as well that makes well, sense do, do, you, do you not think that our human bodies plays like a major role in spirituality nope no <laughs> all, the, all this body does is fucking protects the receiver Okay, well, well, you have to think there's a, there's a lot of cultural rituals that involve the body that that you know help um, evolve and uh, attain uh, you know, spiritual states. Yeah, yeah. Pain, pain is a way to spiritual enlightenment. It's one of the paths. Yeah, Can I cut you. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fucking knife in his hand too. That's just crazy. if it advances my spirituality, I'll allow it. I don't know. I think we can be. Uh, I think we can be cyborgs and still. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's my main question. Like, do we? Do we forfeit? You we'll, know, we'll just find a better for for you know the human singularity and you know immortal life. We'll just find a better robotic god to worship. <laughs> Bender. Yes. I I have a comment that actually I have here from a uh, from one of our listeners that talks about that a little bit. Sure. So this is from Charity. She's a, a listener of our podcast, and she was uh, emailing me about this. She says, uh, we were talking about becoming older and how our our perception of reality changes and how it becomes more fascinating. So she says, reality has become even more fascinating, meaningful, and mysterious. Yet, I don't want to live forever in some man-made eternity. I don't want to become a robot or a synthetic being. We already have access to the divine. Our mistake comes in trying to control and manipulate it rather than release ourselves into its depths. Well, I, I think we know where, which way charity leans. Yeah. And I think I emailed her back saying it's tempting. I still want to try and live forever. That's the thing is it's tempting. Singularity. It is tempting. Like, Maybe very tempting. there could be some sort of there's balance. A, there's a chance that when I, it, when I die, I don't get the answers to any, everything. <laughs> Yeah, like what if what if there is a not only a balance, but what if this uh, path towards the singularity increases our spiritual awareness, like this robotic phantom limb syndrome, right? Like, well, what if what if that helps prove our duality of consciousness through science, and that opens up the whole thing? Okay, but but what if? Death is the true catalyst to reach uh, the, the you know spiritual nirvana. That's the other thing. Yeah, you just prolong it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Maybe the longer you're alive, the the more you'll But then when you do, you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> I wasted like 500 years on that motherfucker. But, but would you really be wasting it? There's a lot I could do in 500 years. Yeah, exactly. Imagine the money you could make. <laughs> Is that defeating the purpose? You could... Maybe you could. I, I think it probably would be. Maybe you could uh, reach robot nirvana on Earth, and then it doesn't matter anymore. I wonder if robots can eat. Could you eat mushrooms if you're a robot? Can robots I guess eat there's mushrooms? There's only one way to find out. Only if you're a machine elf. <laughs> All right, it's time for the profound UFO quote of the week. So this one's applicable to. Uh, to Nick Pope and the gang. This guy was actually involved somewhat in the case. So, From the earliest days of the modern outbreak of sightings some 40 years ago, there is quite a remarkable similarity between the descriptions given by observers of the flying vehicles. It is the more remarkable that there have been tens of thousands of these reports from observers who range from illiterate peasants in Argentina and Spain to people with PhDs in other countries, and they have all given spontaneously. They've all been given spontaneously, which has led to the generic term flying Wait, saucer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you go? Can you rewind that two sentences? Seriously? Yeah. From, from observers who range from illiterate peasants in Argentina and Spain to people with PhDs in other countries, and they have all been given spontaneously. I don't get it. <laughs> it's okay. That's what it says here. I, I, might think, be I cool. think I'm on board. Yeah, I think I know what they're saying, which has led to the term flying saucer. There have been thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of sightings and encounters physical results and of the latter by people all over the world whose evidence on any other subject would be accepted without question. There have been major investigations lasting 30 or 40 years by the governments of the USA, Russia, and France for certain, and probably Britain and other countries. That's from Lord Admiral Hill Norton, GCB, Chief of Defence Staff, Ministry of Defence, Britain, Chairman, Military Committee of NATO, Admiral of the Fleet, Member of the House of Lords. I swear we've had this guy before. We have. Yeah. It's, it's a different quote, way. though. That's it's quite a, a title. Quote. I need a title like that. <laughs> Lord of Grub America. <laughs> can, I, can I just top it off with another little one from, uh, from the UK? Sure. Just to, you know, to respect Pope and the gang. More than 10,000 sightings have been reported the majority of which cannot be accounted for by any scientific explanation. I am convinced that these objects do exist and they are not manufactured by any nation on Earth. I can therefore see no alternative to accepting the theory that they come from some extraterrestrial source. That's Air Chief Marshal Lord Dowding, Commander-in-Chief of the Royal Air Force Fighter Command during the Battle of Britain, printed in the Sunday Dispatch, London, July 11th, my birthday, 1954. You were born in 54? No. <laughs> it, it sounds like Graham's uh, already achieved immortality. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Didn't you have a question for Graham, too, before we jumped off? Uh, I did, and actually after the UFO quote, it's kind of a bit more fitting. Perfect. Um, well, obviously, I think I know which way you lean toward this, Graham, but, but just so you can actually state it out loud and get it on the record, 
Do you believe that most of an identified aerial phenomenon is extraterrestrial? This could turn into a two-part question, depending on which way you answer. Okay, yeah, I believe some of it is. Okay, in that case, the second part is, why do you think that they're visiting us? I know it's a pretty broad question, but but I want to know why you think. Tourism? That there is tourism, <laughs> so it's like for entertainment purposes. Did you say tourism or terrorism? <laughs> it, it could go Both. either oh, way. Shit. Really. Did you say terrorism on Skype? <laughs> so, you know what? I think it's a variety of reasons, and honestly... You know, I'm not 100% sure, right, about any of this stuff. I just think that there's a lot of explanations for, a lot of valid explanations for unidentified aerial phenomena. Well, which ETs, one do you lean toward more? Uh, I think it's a mix of ETs, interdimensional, uh, you know, who knows, light beings, that kind of, you know, super advanced kind of stuff. Um, and I also think there's a lot of black projects and there's also some legitimacy to the secret space program type stuff so i think it's a mix of all of it um and i think if ets were here i think they're here it's hard not to believe that there's an increase in sighting since the nuclear stuff right you know those hypotheses about them uh spending more time here since we've been blowing up things with nuclear weapons uh all the nuclear weapon uh like uh, that book uh, from Robert Hastings, you know, UFOs and nukes, like there's some pretty good cases out there of that. So it's hard not to, it's hard to ignore the fact that that's happening with the nuke. So I'd kind of lean towards that. And then, you know what else? It could be a whole plethora of reasons, right? Tourism, science, uh, watching out for us, like uh, so that we don't fuck ourselves up, blow ourselves up. Who knows? They equivalent to a fifth grade science experiment. Yeah, fourth. What do you What do you think, Justin? Fourth grade. Uh, I, I think the jury's still open for me. You know, I mean, there's too much data to to look at and say, yeah, no, there's nothing going on here. Move along, nothing to see. Exactly. Here. Um, whether it, rather, I, I definitely believe in extraterrestrial life. Whether or not they're visiting us, again, the jury's out. I, I. I it's like Bigfoot, you know, whether I believe, I'm bringing it up Sasquatch again, I debate with myself constantly, you know, like on a day-to-day basis, if I believe, if I don't believe, and really it's just how I feel that day, I think is what it comes down to, you know, um, I'm sure after I listen to the Nick Pope and uh, John Burroughs uh, episode, I'll probably lean a little bit more toward believing, but who knows, the day after that, I could hear a skeptical point of view and be like, you know what, that kind of makes sense too. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally okay with people changing their view and going back and forth and stuff like that. That that's just part of your own truth, right? Well, we'll see. That's just it. You know, until it happens to you, it's it's, it's yeah. It's hard to put your finger on it. Like you know I, what I mean, like like I was gonna say that. What you've probably heard my sighting a little bit. I don't want to drone on about it. But what do you say to a, a multiple witness, multiple sighting event where you see a craft that's shaped like a dodecahedron split in half and rotating and flying through airspace like was uh, a drone. You know, is it a mass hallucination if it is a real craft flying through the air and it's that shape making those uh movements is it like it's hard to imagine it being black projects in 1990 it's got to be fairly advanced for that and then well, so then what's left right there's not a lot of like et the eth like the et hypothesis to me, it can be like Occam's razor in some way because it seems like that is the the, mo- the easiest explanation. 
Well, like like I, I've said before, I think it just comes down to a numbers game. Like where when does Occam's razor start pointing toward more the fringe? Exactly. Because that seems to be the most obvious answer. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a numbers game. Your numbers. Let's go to up. a clip. <laughs> I'm ill prepared for a clip. I do actually have a little more. <laughs> I have uh, some more feedback. I actually just noticed it on the Facebook page because I don't check Facebook enough. So it's a little old, but uh, I feel like I should still read it. I'm just trying to pull it up here. So I'm stalling. And it's from, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> it's from Bruce. It says, hey, fellas, I just recently listened to the Fritz episode. I really enjoyed the topic. Nephilim. I'm full blood Cherokee and a big one at that, six foot two and two hundred and fifty pounds. Thanks to this episode, I can now say I'm not fat, I'm Nephilim descendant. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyhow, keep up the great work and I can't wait for your upcoming episodes. Yeah, thanks. Sweet. And uh we should probably mention the money bomb before we wrap it up too. Uh I haven't totaled it up. Exactly, I think we're sitting around like ninety-five bucks, so we should. Well, I I, ju I just threw some in the pot like oh. yesterday, the day before. Yeah, I think that's so. We we'll be giving away something this week, so or uh, this month. I think there's there's about a, only a couple days left by the time this comes out. So uh, yeah, I think we have guys... to solicit some donations. Like yeah, this is really like we do have expenses here and all that, and we're you know we're, we put out all this content for free, so. We're, we try to use this money bomb 50-50 draw kind of thing to help people donate and we give some back to a like-minded listener, but it's, uh, you know, it's slow going. So get us over the hump. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like we'll get just over a hundred. And then after, after PayPal takes their cut, we'll probably be in the whole five bucks. No, I think <laughs> THC's money bomb is up to like 1600 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it looks like it's a model that might be able to work. Yeah, Definitely. we'll get there. We're just getting our sea legs. Yeah. It'll be all good. Contribute. <laughs> I've been spreading the good word. Thanks, yeah, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> Hit people in the mouth. Yeah, contribute if you can. Give us, you know, fifty cents or a quarter an episode. Just get in the money bomb, win some cash. Yeah, exactly. Of course there's uh you don't have to donate. There's other ways to enter. Help but basically by uh spreading the word. Yeah, there's other ways to help Wires out too. Or... Tell a friend. Review review us on iTunes or that other funny review thing you saw. What was that? Pod, pod feed or pod, pod feed or pod something. Pod something. Pod, pod something. bay. Pod bay. Or pod feed. Pod may. Pod bay feed. Like Star Wars. Pod may. <laughs> exactly like that. I suppose that's what it, we should jump into our uh, chat with Nick and John. That's a good one. Like John was at fucking Rendlesham. That's like. Top three UFO probably cases, most popular UFO cases in history, and this guy was the dude, one of the dudes who's there. Yeah, it's too bad uh, Jim couldn't join us on this one. We should definitely get him on down the road because I want to talk like downloading fucking binary code, binary and code and stuff like that. We didn't get into that too much here because John didn't experience that. He lost that time. Yeah, and uh, so. Well, well think... didn't John Burroughs lose some time there too? Yeah, John Burroughs lost the time when uh, Jim was, Jim Penniston, I think it was, was... He was checking out the craft, right? Yeah, he seen the glyphs, and then he touched the craft and got... Uh, Can you, like, measure it or something? It was like, 
nine feet by six and a half or yeah mm-hmm. and then he got binary code download didn't he go home and just write runs ones and zeros in a book for a couple of days yeah but yeah like he, he he supposedly took pictures of it yeah i'm not sure actually yeah i don't know i read that somewhere i read a lot of things so, so it, it could be another incident either way it's pretty fascinating to what some of the translations have said that uh is in that code yeah, I'm pretty stoked to hear it. Just scan it, put it in the. Got to read the book. I buy the book. Buy the book. Encounters in Rendlesham. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose we should wrap it up. Um, you got anything else you want to throw out there before we take a break here, Justin? Uh, comments on my blogs. I seek recognition. There Sweet. you go. Comment on the blogs and review us where you can. Of course, as always, we all the blogs. Some reviews. And one day you won't need that external validation, Justin. There you go. <laughs> one day that'll be that'll be my uh my spiritual nirvana there you go and that'll that'll be the day you get your robot legs (laughs) that'll be the day that'll be the day actually maybe that'll only be half nirvana you can't get full nirvana till you go full robot see now you're just getting me excited start saving up some money for some robot legs maybe maybe i'll i'll buy right up legs with my wings from the money bomb there you go. I'm selling moon property too. So <laughs> I, I heard. I was thinking about investing in the, in the moon. Now's property. the time. Fifty-five, dark, right? Dark side only. Exactly. That's a steal. That's yeah. a steal. Is yeah, that is. is that U.S. or Canadian? Whatever. I'll take it. Whatever you can afford. <laughs> Okay, guys, in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be talking with uh, Nick Pope and John Burroughs, talking a little Rendlesham Forest. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are pretty familiar, but uh, at the same time, I think there's probably a few of them this might be the first they're hearing of it. But first, how's it going tonight, buddy? Not bad. I thought you almost introduced us as Grimerica. <laughs> That's my my world. <laughs> Hostile takeover. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about the book today um, that John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, and Nick Pope wrote, and it's called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, and it's the inside story of the world's best documented UFO incident. Now, there's been some big UFO incidents that we've talked about on the show here and that, that people should know about, and this is definitely one of them. This is one of the most complex stories, and I'm... I've kind of stayed away from it a little bit myself because it's so complex and it takes so long to, to get into it. So we're hoping that uh, we have Nick here and John and hoping that they can sort of freshen things up a little bit for us. And we've got John who was actually 
at the encounter back in 1980. And we've got Nick Pope, who's pretty much the UK's version of Fox Mulder. So welcome to America, guys. Thank you. Great to be on the show. Yes, thanks. So for our, for like I like I had mentioned in the intro, um, I think a, a big chunk of our audience is is pretty familiar with the in- encounter. But at the same time, we we deal with a lot of consciousness stuff and things like that. So there there might be a few few people out there that don't. I was wondering if maybe John, you could give us a quick rundown of of exactly what we're talking about when we're talking encounters in Rendlesham. Sure. Um, the Rendlesham Forest incident. It, for a long time, it was called the Bentwaters Incident, but it's kind of uh, went over and it's now being called the Reynolds Forest Incident because it actually happened in Reynolds Forest. Happened outside uh, two bases, uh, Woodbridge, Aria Bentwaters. Bentwaters was the main base. Uh, Woodbridge was the auxiliary base. At the time, it was the largest tech fighter wing in the Air Force. Happened over mm-hmm. a three-day period in December of 1980. Uh, the first night I was on duty, Come on, doing it on the 25th, which is just at the end of Christmas, going into the morning of Boxing Day. Around 0300 on the 26th, while on patrol with uh, Sergeant Steffens, we noticed, or he noticed, at first strange lights coming from outside the perimeter fence line, um, outside East Gate in the Reynolds Forest area. He alerted me and asked me while I was riding around with him if I'd seen anything like that, and I stated no. At that point, we decided before we called anything in to try to figure something out, try to get a little bit of a better idea what we were dealing with and even if we should call it in, went ahead and left the base. We got down to the end of the road, you know, uh, on the east, the road that led from the east gate down towards the forest and Bentwaters. Um, I went ahead and got out of the vehicle, opened the door up and got out of the vehicle to stare out into the forest just to see if I could get, get a better feel or look. Mm-hmm. And as I opened up the door, there seemed to be like a static electricity in the air. And at the same time you felt that you got this weird feeling that something just wasn't right. And you were kind of hanging out there, you know, where you were out there, you know, kind of out there on the cliff as far as being out there, not knowing what's going on. So we immediately turned around and drove right back up to to the gate and went ahead and contacted law enforcement on the phone, briefed him on what was going on. He transferred me to uh, CSC and at that point, after discussing what we were seeing and what was going on with them, they sent down a security uh, supervisor, Sergeant Penniston, down to the gate to take a look, and then we were going to go from there. Uh, Sergeant Penniston uh, responded down to the gate, could see the same thing we were seeing, got on the phone, and eventually they decided, based partly, too, on the fact that they had called and got some confirmation that on radar something was out over the forest mm-hmm. and disappeared on radar, that they decided that we should go out into the forest off the base outside our jurisdiction because of the fact that maybe an airplane had went down or a small aircraft had gone down to try and get a better look. At the same time, the British authorities were also contacted um, to respond. So we went ahead and departed the base and headed down uh, the Eastgate Road and out into the Reynoldson Forest. Um, as we were driving down, we got com- further confirmation that, that also Eastern Radar had been tracking something over the forest area and lost contact. Um, we exited the vehicle. Uh, once we could go no further down the logging road that we took into the forest, went on foot. Um, we proceeded into the forest. Uh, we were observing whatever it was in front of us, the lighting and stuff in front of us. And eventually we came into a clearing area. As we came down this up this little berm and down into a clearing area, 
we came across what happened was a big bright light kind of lit up the whole area. Um, all three of us hit the ground. Um, and then what I remember happening was that after the white light got really bright and we hit the ground because we're in a defensive uh, mode, then the light eventually dimmed and went up up, up uh, through the trees straight up and then shot back out towards the coast. Uh, Sergeant Penniston, um, who was closer to the object than I was at any point, has recollection of being able to get up, see a craft, walk around it, um, record stuff in his notebook, including some glyphs, um, touch the craft, having a binary download. And um, from that point, then he said it exited the area and left. And then from there, we pursued out, you know, through the farmer's fields farther out, and we never made contact with it again. Hmm. So that's what took place on the first night. Right. Wow. So Jim was by himself at that time? Like when no, he was all up three of us, the... no, all three of us proceeded out. Right, you know, right. Okay. Afterwards. But what I'm saying is Jim remembers actually being able to get up, get go around it and everything else where I don't have any memory of that. I just remember getting close to something. There was a bright light. I drew, when I drew my statement, like an orange oval object, it had a red shoe around it, some blue light, blue lights in it, a white bright light, stuff like that, where he actually claims he saw a craft, triangular object, touched it, you know, and did a bunch of other stuff. Right, right, right. So then that was the first night, and this is a, a three-night encounter, right? So, Nick, do you want to get into the, what happened the second night and give John a little break here? Well, sure. In fact, I'm probably skip over the uh, second kind of round of experiences fairly quickly. Okay. Suffice to say that one of the other flights had sightings too, and there were certainly encounters of uh, blue balls of light, uh, one of which was seen to pass through the open window of one of the jeeps being driven on patrol out the other side, so shaking up hmm. one of the junior officers that they had to actually be removed from duty. Uh, the third night, now fast forward to this and then probably bring back John because John was part of this too. Sure. But the other part uh, of this, which is perhaps uh, also quite well known, is that the deputy base commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, was quite skeptical about all this. He'd gotten to hear about Jim and John's encounter on the first night and rumors about these UFO sightings were sweeping the bases like uh, wildfire. And Charles Holt really wanted to put the whole thing to bed. Uh, he thought it was a bit of a distraction to the primary mission of, of the twin bases. And there was an awards ceremony going on. The doors burst open. One of the officers came in, saluted, and said to him, Sir, it's back. And Holt said, What? What's back? What are you talking about? And the officer said, the UFO, sir, it's returned. So Holt went out into the forest, in his words, to debunk all this UFO nonsense. He wanted to put the whole thing to bed, uh, get on with, with the normal business of, of the mission. And don't forget, these were two of the most important bases in the whole NATO alliance mm -hmm. at a very tense time in the Cold War. So... Holt and his team went out. They, they found the site where Jim and John had their encounter on the first night. And one of the things they noticed is, wait a minute, this isn't just two guys relaying a story. Everything here in the clearing 
seems to validate what they've said. Where they said that this UFO was, there were indentations in the ground. The sides of the trees at the edge of this clearing were kind of scorched or burnt. And most crucially of all, there were high radiation readings that were picked up with a Geiger counter that one of the disaster preparedness uh, guys, Monroe Nevels, had taken with him. So immediately you had this physical, evidential corroboration of what Jim and John encountered. And then Holt saw the UFO too. And he took with him a handheld tape recorder, which he used to document his, his thoughts and experiences. And all this is on tape. You may have heard this, if not just Google the phrase Holt tape, H-A-L-T, and then tape. You can listen to it. He sees the UFO. It pre- performs the most extraordinary speeds and maneuvers in the sky as if he said it was performing a grid search. And then it fires down a pencil-thin beam of light at the ground just in front of him and his men. And he said afterwards, reflecting about this, was this a weapon? Was this a warning? Was this communication? What was this? So here you have this situation where John... Jim and other airmen see this UFO and then the deputy base commander who was a complete skeptic who wanted to debunk this thing not only got corroboration through physical evidence like radiation readings that this had happened but he got caught up in all this himself and became a witness Hmm. did the machine look the same or the craft did it look the same uh, as the first sighting difficult to say because when Colonel Holt and his team saw it First of all, they were seeing it through trees. Then they were seeing it pretty much directly overhead, just zipping around in the sky very rapidly. As I say, the phrase that Colonel Holt used is as if it was conducting a grid search. Mm. So difficult to say, but a UFO effectively appearing on three consecutive nights at two of the most sensitive and important bases in, in the NATO military alliance. I mean, it, you know, it's inconceivable that there isn't a connection here and that these events aren't linked. Is there any, have you guys ever heard anything, uh, or Nick, I suppose, have you ever heard anything uh, from the other side of the uh, the so-called Iron Curtain back in those days? Like, was were the Russians uh, or the Soviets, uh, did they have any similar similar encounters? Well, that's a really great question, and, and it's a, probably an overlooked aspect of this whole thing. I would love to get my hands on Soviet files from this era, and there are a number of people who uh, have acquired some Soviet, uh, including KGB, files on this subject. But I think particularly if we're talking KGB, the interest is, are, are any of our own people here uh, being subversive as opposed to, to what what are we dealing with here. So I, I don't know. I think you'd need to see KGB files. You'd need to see GRU files. There's been no corroboration. I mean, of course, one of the, the theories about all this is that we were looking at some secret prototype Soviet spy plane mm. or drone that perhaps crashed. There's been talk of a Soviet satellite brought down um, a lot of talk, but it's very difficult to nail this down. But, but you're quite right. Getting hold of Soviet 
files on this could could perhaps take us to some interesting new territory here. Because the light coming down from, from Halt sighting, that does ring a bell with some of like Robert Hastings' uh, encounters in uh, the nuclear uh, environment, it, it right? It does. Yes, it does, absolutely. And some of the material that people like Paul, Paul Stonehill yeah, yeah. have come up with. And I think, uh, I confess that I forget the name of the base, but there was a Soviet base, I think it was in the Ukraine, uh, so quite topical now, um, where not not a missile shutdown, which happened at places like Minot and Maelstrom, as I recall, but actually a missile activation. Uh-huh. And there was a, a very interesting case, and I was talking to Paul, Paul Stonehill about this quite recently, uh, involving this nuclear missile facility in the Ukraine, where actually following a UFO encounter, for a short period of time, the missiles kind of went online and a launch sequence was initiated. And I only have this second hand, but by all accounts, some of the personnel in there, um, literally their hair turned white in, in o- overnight because they thought they were in at the beginning of World War Three, Armageddon. Yeah. yeah. And that was around the same era? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what do you, what do you guys say to the skeptics? Like I remember hearing the skeptics still going on about this whole lighthouse theory about that being the, uh, the case. Like, do you just, do you even bother engaging in that type of thing? Or what would you say to that when they still contest that it's a simple explanation like that? Oh, Nick, sorry. Well, no, I, I, you know, I think probably time for John to come in on that one after all. He was the guy who was there, so he he's best placed to say what he did or didn't say. Good point. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, look, you know, there's been a lot said. You know, a couple of our statements, we refer to seeing, you know, the White House speaking after what took place. You know, what we had an encounter in, in the forest area itself, and what we dealt with and what we saw and what happened – you know, there's just no way, you know, it was the White House. Um, it's something, you know, that these guys try to float out there. But, you know, it, the White House doesn't go up and down, doesn't go up into the sky, take off, doesn't shoot beams of light. <laughs> and you can go through the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just ludicrous. I mean, one of the things that they try to point out is on Hunter Hall's tape at one point, they synchronized it and said that, the, you know, he could see the light. You know, well, that was part of what he was seeing. Well, in our case, where the area was, you, you couldn't even see the lighthouse. It was, you know, to the right of the, the main farmer, the, the, house, the farmer whose house is set in the field. And until you got past the farmer's house, you couldn't even see the beacon, you know. Now, in Halt's case, he was a little bit farther over, allegedly, because I wasn't where he had his first initial sighting. I got out there a little bit later. So, you know, yeah, maybe he did confuse the beacon, and I'm saying, he, I'm not saying I know he did, but, you know, at one point maybe they did see the beacon, you know, when all the other stuff was going on, but in our case, there's no way. We were in the forest before we went into the field, and you couldn't even see the lighthouse, and again, the lighthouse where we initially saw it was clear up at the front part of the forest, you know, moving back and forth and stuff. There, there's just no way we dealt with the lighthouse, you know, so 
But, you know, that's how people are sometimes, especially people that just want to cause trouble, you know, and, and try to <laughs> cast out on things. Yeah. Speaking of people who like to cause trouble, I've got a, uh, a question here from a American regular red pill junkie. Um, of course, he's not causing any trouble tonight, but he's got a question for John. Um, John, most UFO re researchers, when they question a witness of a close encounter, are often only interested in the so-called object object objective aspects of the case. What color was it? How big? What shape? Did it make any sounds or not? Yada, yada, yada. Whereas I've become more interested in the pos possible cognitive and perceptual effects the ph phenomena may have had on the witness over a long-term period, especially. My question would be, have you noticed any changes in your spiritual or religious ideas, increase or decrease in your mental concentration, increase or decrease in creativity? creativity or emergence of talents and abilities, which might've been the result of your exposure to the phenomenon that night. That sounds like he took it straight from the movie phenomena, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with John Travolta. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you, you, I could possibly say, because I, I, especially over the last few years, I've become more focused on the incident stuff. Um, that, you know, some of that, a little tiny bit of what he brought up is possible, but no, I don't have any powers where I can move sunglasses around <laughs> or, you know, read people's minds or anything like that. But, and I'm not trying to make fun of it because it is a fair question. And, you know, there has been cases where people claim they've had, so that's a fair question. But in my case, no, I haven't, you know, been able to do any of that kind of stuff or feel like I've all of a sudden gained, you know, more, natural powers or abilities from what happened to him. What, what about your spiritual views or, or that type of thing? Like has that uh, changed? At all? Um, I don't know. It, 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 see, it gets really hard for me because when I went under hypnosis for this, some stuff came up that was very interesting and, you know, I'm not sure where it came from. Um, I never was, you know, it's not that I don't believe in God or anything like that, but I never was somebody who went to church every week and all that other stuff. But through all this stuff that's gone on over the last few years, especially with the codes and stuff, it's really opened my eyes to, I think, what what we were like way back in the past. And, and some of these codes tie back to that and where we've be, what we've become and what you know, what the way we I feel we somewhat have been misled as, as a people, not only with religion because of the wars and everything else. So I, it has kind of affected me in, in, in that way, you know, mm -hmm. as far as some of that. But but I do believe there is, you know, we were created, you know, it, it, you know, and there is, there is a God. But it has changed my views a little bit about the way I think we've been misled and, you know, and how stuff has been hidden from us and, and everything else. Mm. Cool. I, I've got a question for, for uh, Nick, kind of code related, and we can get into the codes a little bit because I have some questions on that. But Red Pill Junkie has a question for Nick here as well. As a student of the UFO phenomena, one tends to notice a high incident of cases concentrated within a close proximity to ancient megalithic ruins or other types of sacred sites. So do you consider this to be a statistical fluke or could it be something about these geographical locations that somehow acts as a magnet for UFOs? Well, I don't know. That's a very interesting question. And of course it raises the, the age old problem of chicken and egg. Um, yeah. I, I mean, in relation to the so-called Rendlesham code, 
what came out apparently as a result of one translation was this list of geographical coordinates, most of which align to these these so-called power sites, sites of, of great significance in terms of pagan worship and belief in, in terms of um, ancient peoples and the sites where they congregated. I mean, uh, it's, it's Caracol, Belize, Sedona in Arizona, the Great Pyramid in, in Egypt, Na- the Nazcar Lines, um, Taishan Ku, probably not pronouncing that right, in China, uh, the Temple of Apollo in Naxos, Greece, and this mysterious lost island or lost continent of high Brazil, mm-hmm. which has sometimes been called the Celtic Atlantis. Mm. Now, I mean, on the face of it, you know, to get all those coordinates off the one code would seem quite extraordinary. I mean, now with my skeptical hat on, I would say it's almost too good to be true. Yeah. It, it's like, and I mean no disrespect with this phrase, but, but people will know what I mean. It's like a, a new age holiday wish list. That's mine. That's my bucket list. That's my bucket <laughs> list of vacations, I tell you. Well, you know, mine too. There's some fantastic places there. Now, is it that the codes genuinely do name check all these locations? Or is this kind of almost like a, a, a I, I don't know, bait and switch or whatever you want to call it, but um, you know, almost something a little bit too obvious being dangled in front of us when perhaps if there is a message here, it's a deeper message and it's buried one, two, three, four levels below what we think we're seeing. I mean, it's very, very easy to stick a bunch of ones and zeros into one of these binary decoder websites and, and get all this out the other side. But one thing I do know from my 21 years of government work, some of which involved working closely with intelligence agencies, is, is that sometimes the, the subtle answer is, is the true one. And, mm. and I think these codes should probably go through an NSA or GCHQ, the British equivalent, supercomputer and should go in front of various cryptographers rather than just, you know, Googling a, a, a sort of binary text decoder website. But hey, what do I know? I've, you know, maybe that's completely wrong. Maybe the obvious answer is the answer, but I, I somehow don't think so. I sometimes, I somehow think that if there is something there, some message, we'll, we're going to have to work a little bit harder than just the obvious. Yeah, yeah. Is there has there been something found off the coast of Ireland there, like that high Brazil? Is there something to that one? Um, Do- I I don't know. I mean, people people say, and this is true, uh, that we know less about the deep ocean <laughs> yeah. than we do about the surface of Mars. And of course, for people in the UFO community, there are periodic stories that surface like the the so-called Baltic anomaly. There's been a lot about that recently. Who knows what's down there? Um, I mean, it's taking, taking it in a very dangerous area, but we, we, hell, we don't even know what happened to the Malaysian airline. I mean, where where that is down, sad to say, probably on, on the ocean floor Mm -hmm. somewhere. 
is, is there a real high Brazil? I, I don't know. But I, I think as long as we've got these coordinates, we should certainly try to check them out. And if there turns out to be nothing down there, then the theory is right. This is just perhaps, uh, you know, a, a little bit of bait. And maybe the, the deeper message is, is the one to explore. Hmm. So, John, um, you must have been thinking about doing something like this, a, a book uh, on your experience and on this massive case for a while. So what, what made you and Jim and, and Nick, I guess, for that matter, uh, finally decide or just decide to, to come out with this? Well, I, I, it was I, 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 sometimes it's hard to keep track of time, but yeah. it's been three or four years ago. Um, you know, I, I've been busy. I finally retired from the military. You know, I've been involved a little bit in this over the years, doing a couple of documentaries and stuff. But what frustrated me the most was you had all these different people out there throwing out stuff. And I said, you know, maybe it's time I, I come back and take a closer look at stuff. And one of the things I started looking at was technology and what we had at the time, what we have today, what I've seen in the military over the years and the advancement and stuff. And I started looking at things, and then I decided I'd get a hold of Jim and from that point, we started looking into some different things. Along the way, the codes popped up and everything. So we eventually decided for a fact, and it's not that it's never been discussed over years prior, that it was time to put it all together, you know, and get our story out. Um, we initially contacted Nick and asked him if he'd be willing to write some stuff within the book. And after talking to him, he, he felt that, it, you know, it was a viable thing that needed to be done. And he had an agent, and he wanted to try to see if we could pursue it, not by just self-publishing it, by getting, a, you know, a major publisher to do it. So that that was the defining moment, and Nick could probably go into a little more detail on that, but that was the defining moment when we decided for sure to put something together, and Nick kind of grabbed it and took it from there, so... Yeah, Nick, do you want to expand on that a bit? And, and maybe also um, for people that are, is this book good for sort of newbies to the whole UFO field and to the the people that have been around for years? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, um, even if you've never read a thing about UFOs before, I, I think if you read Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, you will not only uh, get to hear about one of the greatest, if not, the most interesting and compelling UFO cases of all time. But you also get a, a sense, I think, of, of how this case fits into the wider uh, UFO field in terms of the sorts of other cases that are out there. And uh, most importantly, I think, about the way in which the government treats this subject. I mean, we go into a lot about uh, how both the British and the American government handled this. But I think, yeah, I, I would just reiterate John's point. I think, um, I hope John won't mind my saying, but I suspect that he and Jim were probably a little bit frustrated at the way in which all sorts of characters out in the UFO community were telling their story. Whereas the, the two guys at the heart of the incident, John and Jim, really were only being quoted kind of second and third hand. And I think they felt, hey, it's about time we put the record straight here. Mm -hmm. And um, as, as John said, I have a literary agent in the UK. I'd been published before 
and we all felt that it would be better not to self-publish, not to go with a, a, a small new age press. And I mean no disrespect by that, but if you want a book to have impact, you've really got to have it come out with what the publishing industry calls one, one of the big six. And our publishers are part of the Macmillan group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a way of making sure not only could John and Jim tell their story and put the record straight about an awful lot of you know, exaggeration, misrepresentation, and downright lies that have been told about them over the years. Um, so not only did, did they get to put the record straight, but they got to put the story out with, with a huge mainstream publisher uh, in, a, in a situation which, which enables the story to get the mainstream media coverage it deserves. Right. I mean, I mean um, just, just this weekend, we had a review in the Washington Post. This is not the norm for UFO books. So, yeah, absolutely. Encounter in Rendlesham Forest is, is something for the newcomers, but also for the deep specialists. Mm. So the accounts do vary quite a bit between this book and some previously published material then. I, I guess yeah. that was kind of a question, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I, absolutely they do. But yeah. I mean, I think I, I, to, to risk repeating the, the point, I mean, I think uh, the thing here is that uh, previously so many people had tried to tell John and Jim's story right. for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, this time the three of us got together and, and it's, it's um, you know, first person stuff. of publicity uh there's a podcast out there it's called the joe rogan experience i don't know if you guys have ever heard of it and this guy he's done a you know a tv show recently too and it's his coverage of the ufo topic is really frustrating yet the guy's an open-minded guy and he'll address a lot of these topics but the people that he chooses to or his producers choose to put on the show or whatever it kind of paints the field in a somewhat uh, different light and i this guy reaches millions with his podcast. Now, I think you guys should seriously uh, try and get on his show. You'd, it would, you know, we need we need credible people like you guys on some shows like that where he's reaching millions of you know people. A lot of them open minded because it's just it's frustrating when you still hear intelligent people talking like uh, there's nothing going on and everybody who sees a UFO is a you know a kook. Yeah, the the name rings a bell. I mean, I must admit. Um, 
you know, not not trying to sound arrogant no. about this, but in a sense, I'm I'm more interested in the Washington Post and the New York Times. But sure, I'll reach out to the guy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, he's got he is it's this new media, and he's got to reach uh, more than a lot of mainstream channels. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. So, John, you've uh, you've noticed um, you noticed some uh, some medical effects after after the encounter. Yeah, um, right after the incident, you know, you know, it happened in December. In, in January, I had some bouts with a little bit of vision, throat issues, and stuff. And then after I departed uh, Bentwaters in the summer, I, I, I was continuing not to feel well. And one particular night, I got really sick. Um, I was away from the base, so I went to a civilian hospital because I had to do that, you know, because I was not going to get back in time to the base. And when I went in, the doctor found this heart murmur that, you know, I didn't have coming in, and you couldn't even get in the Air Force with it. And so over the years, it's gotten worse, and it's got to the point where um, I got pretty sick, and the civilian doctors working on me couldn't really get a grasp on um, what was causing it for sure. And he asked when it first started, and I told him, and he said that he would really like to get my medical records to take a look at the initial echoes and all the diagnosis at the beginning to try to get a better idea. Well, tried to start to get them, and I was running into a wall, so I ended up going to Senator Kyle's office, who got involved, and initially he requested my medical and my um, personnel records. Neither of them were they were belonged. He eventually was able to get some of my personnel records, but not all of them, but he couldn't get my medical records. So at that point, they suggested that my records could very well be classified because of what they were finding out behind the scenes. And I needed to go in and file disability, and they would then have a more open avenue to find out if they're classified or not. I went ahead and went in and filed a disability. Um, he took that stuff and immediately asked if my records were classified. This would have been in the summer. And But by the fall, he sends me a letter back saying he wasn't able to get anywhere with them. He's retiring, go to Senator McCain's office. At that point, I went to Senator McCain's office. who started looking into it. And while he was looking into it, I did get an initial review for disability. And they came back and denied my disability claim mm. based on the fact I wasn't in the Air Force when I said <laughs> what happened to me happened to me. Huh. And it actually had altered my DD Form 214. So they claimed I was not in the Air Force from 1979 to 1983. Huh. And at that point, that really got McCain's office attention, and they got really, they dug deep into it. And sure enough, they made contacts within the Air Force and the Air Force tonight I was in. I've got an email from you know headquarters AF of RPC saying, no, you weren't in. Huh. Well, I was able to prove I was in because of my retirement papers and stuff and pay records and stuff, which, by the way, the VA had in the first place. So eventually, after about six weeks, they were able to get my D214 changed back to the way it should have been. But up until this day, which has been going on now for over three years, no one will comment about my, where my records are, nor will they release them or allow any of the VA doctors or civilian doctors access to them. And that's, you know, that's including two powerful United States senators can't get near them. So some, for some reason, you know, my records are classified. So hmm. that's got to be somewhat disturbing to you. I mean, but it also must sort of indicate that something uh, something's going on and somebody knows about it, too. It sounds to me like it's it can't be a bloody coincidence. Well, it goes deeper than that. OK, we did a bunch of FOIA requests and two of the ones that stood out the most was number one, the State Department. 
which overseas handles, you know, stuff between two two different countries. They openly admitted they hold documents on the Reynolds and Force incident, but they won't release them because they their Air Force documents. Obviously, the Air Force contacted them. OSI deals with the State Department overseas, and when the State Department gets involved, it's an international incident. So they said, ask the Air Force to release them. The Air Force denies having any documents. Mm. Okay. We then go to the CIA, and the CIA will neither confirm or deny if they're holding classified material on the incident. Okay, and then it goes deeper. You go overseas to the MOD. The MOD actually, and I, I want Nick to really go into this because he had involvement in the report being issued, started and issued, hmm. was Project Condine. And when you go into Project Condine, they openly admit in the report that Reynolds from observers were exposed to radiation from a phenomena. Hmm. So the, the Ministry of Defense is aware of the incident, they're aware that we had contact with something, and they're aware that we received radiation, which leads back to my heart damage and the issues with my heart. So, you know, I'll turn it over to Nick to go into more detail, but it really, there is plenty of paper trail, including other stuff involving radiation and stuff that proves an incident took place, the, the government, both the United States and the American government, know about it, and they're covering Or let me reverse it because cover-up is a nasty word, that there's something going on with holding back information. Yeah, right. Okay, fair enough. Okay, Nick? Well, Project Condine was a highly classified British government study into the UFO phenomenon. It was commissioned by the Defense Intelligence Staff in the Ministry of Defense, where I worked, and as John said, I was directly involved in setting this up. Because of the sensitivities of this, it wasn't even conducted in the Ministry of Defense, but through a defense contract, which has the effect of taking something uh, outside of parliamentary scrutiny and outside of the scope of the Freedom of Information Act. So not only was this thing secret UK eyes only, but it was hidden several layers deep. And why this is interesting, of course, is, is self-evident. Publicly, the British and the American government have said for many years, oh, we're no longer investigating UFOs. This subject is of no real defense interest. Mm. Behind the scenes, as the paper trail now reveals, highly classified studies were being carried out. And Project Condine was basically an attempt to put all the information that we'd amassed over decades, 12,000 UFO reports, uh, a lot more, more general research investigation, put it all together and say, what does it all mean? What have we got here? And what, what can we you know, conclude from all of this? And what the Ministry of Defense concluded was that there was a real phenomenon and that it had real and genuine effects upon people. And under the heading, for example, non-ionizing electromagnetic effects on humans and electromagnetic field from a plasma, <laughs> the report concluded, and this is a direct quote, the well-reported Rendlesham Forest slash Bentwaters event is an example where it might be postulated that several observers were probably exposed to UAP radiation for longer than normal UAP sighting of periods. Now, UAP is simply Ministry of Defense jargon. It's unidentified aerial phenomena. <laughs> Effectively, it's, it's our own term for UFOs. 
But the report went on to talk about potential, and, and the phrase used was novel military applications, which I'm sure will have a lot of the spiritual and New Age listeners throwing up their arms in horror. But I mean, it's true. This is, unfortunately, if you, if you ask the Ministry of Defense to conduct a study, that's the kind of study you get. You know, can we make a weapon out of this? And, and that, I'm afraid to say, is the question that people were asking. And the report goes on about directed energy weapons, um, very high power energy generation, RF weapons, impulse radars, um, and, and so it goes on. So for anyone who thinks that governments don't take this seriously, you've only got to look at Project Condine to see that they do. But the problem with all of this is that the Project Condine final report ran to 468 pages. It was released under the Freedom of Information Act, but the best place to hide a book is in a library. And the mainstream media didn't pick up on the good stuff. And they hardly ever do. And, um, and yet the answers are in there. And John is, as we speak, looking into this and cleverly going after some of the working papers oh, okay. that went into making this final report. But what he's finding, not surprisingly, is that uh, exemptions to the Freedom of Information Act are being cited. Uh, defense, national security, intelligence, those ones. So the answers are there. But it, they're just, uh, yeah, it's hard to nail down. Is it redacted or is it? Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's fairly heavily redacted. And even the pages, even where it's not redacted much, the bits that are, are redacted are the, I guess, what you call the good bits. bits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got it. Okay. We got to ask you guys your personal opinion, if we can, before we run out of time here. Um, you know, you, you mentioned some of the things uh, that Condine was looking into, and I've heard about like secret psychotronic weapons and, you know, Soviet uh, secret stuff and aliens and time travelers from the future. Do you, do you guys each mind sharing your personal opinion or do you have a personal view on what your gut thinks uh, it was? Maybe John first. Sure. I, I think, you know, nothing against the binary and nothing against, you know, the glyphs and everything, which I think are important and need to be investigated more. But I think Condine, you know, it doesn't just go into Reynolds from it goes possibly into everything that's been going on for, you know, the years of the contacts of different things that happened. Because if you read the report, it talks about how it affects what you see and different things like that. And I think that is what is going on. I feel that with it being so heavily redacted, um, there is a, a passage in there that talks about they commission astronauts and different people to work on it. If you listen to an interview Edgar Mitchell did a few years ago, it was done from with a British guy, I forget, radio or something, but he actually hinted at the phenomenon itself in some of the MOD papers. Um, I really feel the next step, and this is something that is there, it's real, there's a paper trail, um, I've got the Ministry of Defense in a corner now. They've openly admitted, even though they they try to spin their way out of it now by saying that you know they've given everything out, and then after I went after them a certain way, they admitted to me they haven't released everything, and they're in the process of evaluating if they're going to release more stuff, you know, and, and they're going to redact some of that. 
So I think this is an area right now, people want a smoking gun. This is an area that, that we need to get some serious people, some science people to look these papers over, evaluate them for what they really are, and, and, and start asking hard questions and, and take this in front you know, of, uh, you know, of the uh, parliament and possibly the United States Congress and say, we've got proof that this, t- this has taken place. There is a phenomena. It's affecting things. It even talks about in these papers how it's affected aircraft. Nick went a little bit into detail on his visit, to one of the last visits to the U.K., talking about how pilots and airplanes have had encounters with it that's caused problems. This is a problem that needs to be looked at, addressed by, you know, scientific people, and there is something to this, and that's what I feel needs to be looked at, and, and I'm doing my best to do it. And there is a phenomenon that's indisputable. It says that in the papers. And something needs to be, you know, done about it. That's how I feel about it. So, so does that to summarize what your feeling is about Randallsham? Then, do you think it's more of a high-tech terrestrial testing type thing? Then, like a weapon testing thing, or is that what, you, no, is they, that what you're saying? Governments are trying to weaponize it. They're trying. Right, right, okay, that's okay. part of the reason why it's being classified. People think that you know, people think that people in the world would panic and stuff, and I'm not saying they wouldn't or whatever. Right. And I always feel it would be what how whatever it is what it does to us that would cause how we react but it's clear if if whoever can 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 you get control of this whoever can figure out how it works and and use it to their advantage and have the most power with it will can control everything economically militarily everything and that's why this is keep being kept more secret than than the Mm -hmm. other reason of you know are we alone and would it cause mass panic right 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 And, and i and the governments of the world want to use this to their advantage, not only against each other, but to even control people. And so I think we've got something that we could go a lot further with and even force more information out because they really have gotten nasty with me. They just don't want to talk about it. And now they've gotten to the point now where they're saying, well, we're not going to discuss anything further until these next group of papers get released. Well, when's that? Well, possibly in the next year to 18 months. Well, they're not even giving me a date. So there's something in there. There's policy stuff in there and other papers. And some of it's got Rendlesham in it again. And the point is, is that stuff I've got them to admit they have. What do you think that they still have that's classified that they'll never see the light yeah, of day? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, and what about you, Nick? Well, I don't know what we're dealing with. What I do know is that, is that there's, there's a real phenomenon here. But, you know, one person's ghost is another person's alien is another person's angel i think we interpret these things according to our own individual knowledge and cultural background and belief system we can only come at this from an anthropocentric perspective these are just labels we put on things alien angel ghost whatever um the reality may surprise us all. It may be something that goes beyond words, beyond any concept that we're familiar with. But as John says, it is important. Governments know it's real. Governments are certainly actively working on it to, and and technology acquisition gets to the heart of it. I mean, whether we're talking about weapons or interstellar travel or or whatever aspect, I mean, I, I think it is human nature to want to understand something, harness it, and then use it for arguably very narrow and selfish reasons. You know, there's a line, one of my favorite 
movies is the Medusa Touch, one of Richard Burton's movies. And his character says uh, a line to the effect of, we find out what powers the sun and we make a bomb out of it. Well, I think that's very pertinent here. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. It's hard for me to wrap my head around how there would still be nations fighting over this type of technology when I, it's hard for me not to think there's already sort of like a secret, uh, what do they call that? The secret space program or like some other, you know, part of the human civilization that's elite and sort of above the nation state. But I guess it could be happening on numerous different levels, you know? Yes. And for all this sci-fi talk of, of, and I don't mean that again in a disparaging way of, of, of kind of one world government and things, you know, some sort of utopian or dystopian future, who knows? Nationalism is still, you know, well, I'm not the only game in town, but it's, it's still very important. Mm-hmm. And if anything, if you look around the world today, one doesn't see nations coming together and forming, forming kind of larger conglomerates and alliances. If anything, one, one sees increased fragmentation. Yeah. One sees nations, you know, like Iraq, arguably artificially put together in the first place, but right. coming apart. <laughs> One sees the former Yugoslavia coming apart. The former Soviet Union has, of course, long since come apart. So I don't think we should underestimate this basic instinct, and I think it is that in human nature, to almost go back to, to you know, my tribe. Right, mentality. right, right, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe contact with, a, with an intelligent alien race so is just what it would take to, to expand those borders. Well, now you're you're quoting Reagan and and Clinton. So yeah. that's a nice nice alliance there across the political spectrum. <laughs> but yeah, they they were possibly onto something. So before we 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 run up on it here, I suppose um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask Nick. Uh, you've been you've been looking into this stuff a, a long, long time. Aside from Rendlesham, what what do you think is the uh, your other, I don't know, maybe favorite's not the best word, but the other, uh, you know, craziest or strangest case you've you've encountered over the years? Well, I think there was one that I investigated personally. I mean, of course, I, I ran the Ministry of Defense's UFO project from 91 to 94. In March 93, we had something called the Cosford Incident. Um, we could probably do a whole other show on that, but it'll have to wait. Um, Suffice to say, that was multiple military witnesses and two air bases, um, different ones this time, uh, Cosford and Shawbury, being overflown by a UFO, which one Air Force witness described as, as being midway in size between a C-130 Hercules transport aircraft and a Boeing 747. And this thing moved from maybe 40 miles an hour to high max speed in an instant. And this witness said to me, and he was one of many witnesses that night, he said, I've been eight years in the Air Force, and the speed and the acceleration there is like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. And I tell you, his voice was shaking when I interviewed him the morning after. Wow. Wow. And when was that again? In- that was March 1993. Oh, wow. There were very, very brief details on my net website, if you Google the phrase Cosford, Incident. Yeah, well, 
yeah, C-O-S-F-O-R-D. Okay, good. Very interesting case. Yeah, yeah, we'll link to that in our show notes too, for sure. So are you guys going to any uh, conferences? Are you attending anything? Or are you, do you have any future, um, you know, engagements you want people to know about? Uh, John? Yeah, I'm I'm scheduled to be in, back at uh, the site of the crime, as, as you want to put it, on September 20th. Um, it's going to be a, a night uh, at the Woodbridge Town Hall, and I'll be speaking about a lot of different things, the, obviously the new book, and, and my feelings on what we were exposed to and what happened to us. And that will be September 20th at the Woodbridge Town Hall cool. in Woodbridge, England. Right on. And you, Nick? Are you going to uh, any yeah. conferences? I, I bumped into you at, uh, I was talking to you at UFO Congress 2012, and it was great how approachable you are. And if, uh, you know, people should know that if, uh, you know, they can chat you up at all these conferences. So, Well, yes, I, I try to uh, make myself available at these things. My, I, I'm doing a lot of TV work at the moment. There are several new documentaries coming up on uh, American, Canadian, and British TV. My next uh, conference is going to be Contact in the Desert. Oh. At, uh, uh, that's Joshua Tree, California, August 8th through to the 11th. Um, and that is uh, contactinthedesert.com. I will be there for the whole time. There are lectures, there are sky watches, there are lots of chances to meet some some very interesting people in this field. So contactinthedesert.com uh, is, is the next place to catch me in August. Great. And then is there any other way you guys want people to get a hold of you via Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff? My website is nickpope.net, and on the front page it has links to my Twitter and Facebook. So nickpope.net. Okay, good stuff. And John, anything? Um, I have a Facebook page and it's just my name, John at Burroughs. If okay, you have cool. any questions or anything like that. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah. We'd like to, uh, to really thank you guys for coming on. Uh, thanks for coming to Grime America. I, I recommend all our listeners, uh, take a look at the book. It's, oh yeah. Where can you buy the book? Uh, the book's available, um, all good bookstores, uh, Barnes and Noble, but I mean the the big one for pretty much everyone these days is is of course Amazon. Right. Um, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, it's called. So uh, Amazon Encounter in Rendlesham dot Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. Perfect, and it's a high quality book too. Hardcover. Thank you. Oh wow. yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, and always, as always, uh, Grimericans, if you're going to buy the book on Amazon, use the uh, Grimerica portal. <laughs> we can get some of that corporate blood money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if uh, is there anything uh, you guys want to want to say say before we uh, before we let you go? I just well, want to no, thank you guys for having us on and letting us talk about you know letting me talk about my experience and. Um, Please uh, don't, people, you know, the, the answer is there, you know, and I, I really do think Condine is important, and, and I think um, people need to start taking a closer look at that and um, keep track of Nick because uh, I promise he'll keep the pedal to the metal on this. Right on. I totally agree with you. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's been great to be on the show. Thank you to you. Thank you to all the Gramerica listeners. And, um, yeah, I, I hope people 
enjoy the book and whether you're a skeptic, a believer or somewhere in the middle, I hope that you'll find the book um, thought-provoking and that it will generate uh, discussion and debate and, and hey, it would be a boring world if we all agreed, so discussion and debate is good. Right on. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Okay, Bye-bye. guys. Have Thank a good you. night. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Yeah, you too. Welcome back to the Grammaric Show. That was our chat with Nick Pope and John Burroughs of Encounters in Rendlesham. So, Darren, what did you think? That's a good one, I think. Yeah, it was. It was sweet to talk to someone that was there firsthand. At, you know, probably one of the most famous UFO cases, most well known at least. It's yeah, famous and well known are the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were looking forward to that one. Um, good to chat with Nick Pope too about all that stuff. And I don't know. They seem like they're. Uh, passionate about the ufo topic in general too so i'm hoping that'll i'm hoping they get to share the story with some people that'll uh reach the skeptical crowd too and they can debunk some of those skeptical debunkers like the lighthouse debunk theory the and debunkers. all that yeah crazy crazy debunking the debunkers on debunking <laughs> debunking debunking so we want to thank... Rebunking, how about that? No, does that work? Rebunking? Yeah, yeah. maybe, eh? So we want to thank Nick and John for coming on and, and also thank uh, Justin for participating in the intro. Yeah, maybe we can track down uh, Jim Jim, and uh, have him on the show in the future. Get his take on things. Would have been good to have all three of them at once, but uh, we wanted to get it out, so... Were we supposed to have all three at one time, or...? Yeah, it was a possibility, but it just wasn't working out logistically, so it was, I didn't want to put it off too long, but to just, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, man, it's hard enough to schedule one person and never mind about three. Exactly. Hard enough to schedule ourselves. Exactly. So, yeah, thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, what else should we do? Oh, yeah, we're going to be jumping into... We tested our live feed during the intro for this episode. Uh, it was to a select few, but I think uh, Monday evening we'll start like mentioning on the episodes when we're going to do our next live feed. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's pretty easy to get over there. It's just Mixler.com uh, forward slash Grimerica. That's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash grimerica uh i'm gonna put a player and a live page on the website as well so you'll be able to get in through there and they do a live chat room and things like that so uh, it'll never really be like a full podcast because we never we don't record our podcast kind of from beginning to end like uh, some people do so it'll be like you know one night we might be interviewing um nick pope for example and then after the nick pope interview we'll be doing the intro for the the interview we recorded the week before or something like that. So it's never be going to be like a live episode. It'll be more of a backstage pass to what's going on, you know, on our recording nights and you guys can chime in. And so you think people are going to be able to hear our intros too then? Uh, yeah, if we want them to, 
Mm. Basically, yeah. It's just a matter of leaving the button on after we go out. That's getting a bit weird for me. I don't know. It's hard enough to talk and chat and text at the same time. After. Yeah, because, well, we have to tell the guests, too, that it is live, too, right? Yeah. That's the thing. It's live and yet recorded and come out later as a podcast. So it's going to change the dynamic a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Technicality. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be good. It, it worked out pretty good so far. and. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll so be what, nice to be able to chime in, talk to the talk to the listeners. So if people are getting this now, um, after we release it Saturday night, which is the end of June twenty eighth there, this Monday night at at uh, eight PM Eastern. They can go to Mixler, which is M I X L R dot com slash Gramerica. And tune in live while we interview Joe Gallenberger. Yeah, and that guy that that's crazy shit man it's inner vegas talking about psychokinesis and the law of attraction basically it's like law of attraction with psychokinesis added yeah by monday i'll have uh i should have it up on the website a link there and i should have tweeted it out and probably facebooked it so i mean if you guys can if you're having trouble just i'm sure you'll be able to find it on our social media or on the page somewhere yeah and it's super easy to sign up to it's not a big process so yeah, so you guys can check that out. Uh, as always, check out the show notes, uh, everything we heard about here, everything we talked about here even, and uh, all the music you heard, and uh, support the show. Yeah, support the show. Go to Grey America slash Money Bomb. Yeah, it looks like we're going to have to carry over two-month carryovers, so, you know, that's not good. Hammer it down. Let's try and get her up there. Yeah. Money Bomb. Yeah, and spam gram as usual, G-R-A-H-A-M at GreyAmerica.com. Yeah, and we like to spam the shit out of them around here. Tweet. Darren at, at Gramerica. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Review us where you can. Reviews are big, so if you guys can review us any place you can find us, uh, we appreciate it. Ratings are good. Reviews are better. And we got a special episode coming out with Rupert Sheldrake. Hopefully, uh, that'll be uh, coming out shortly, maybe within a week or so. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be a surprise. Okay. <laughs> no right, commitments. Guys. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>